Again, we're going to be in John chapter 14 uh, this morning. Uh, That's on page 867 of the Bibles that were just handed out by the ushers. You know, over the past four years that I've been here, I've repeatedly tried uh, to show that being a Christian isn't merely about going to heaven when you die. Uh, It certainly includes that promise of heaven, but when we limit it to that, uh, I think we miss what Jesus intended and and what the Bible teaches. Uh, And we turn the gospel then into sort of an escape plan uh, from the hardships of life on this earth, right? And that's not what Jesus intended. In a a few weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 17, listening to Jesus' conversation with his father, his his prayer uh, with his father. And there Jesus will specifically ask God not to take them out of the world. Interesting, isn't it? Don't do that. Don't take them out of the world. Uh, I have sent them into the world just as you, Father, have sent me, Jesus, into the world. Right? Um, so it's, it's not an escape plan. And, and this morning's text tells us why we have been left behind, uh, if I can use that term here. And while the language uh, in this text is plain, um, it's also really perplexing. Um, You you might even say preposterous. Um, So we're going to need help this morning in understanding this. We're going to need help from the Holy Spirit to see what it is that Jesus is saying So just before we look at Jesus' words together, let's pray. Jesus, so often you said to the people listening to you, let him who has ears listen. And so we pray this morning that you would give us ears to listen, that we would hear what it is you are saying You give us minds to understand it and and hearts to receive it. May it it find good, uh, soft soil there in our hearts and affect change in us uh, that works its way out into the lives we live. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is just three verses long. The the whole thing uh, fits on one slide, uh, but we're going to need all of the time we have to work through these uh, three verses. I'm going to read the text, uh, and then we'll work through what I think Jesus is saying to the disciples and, of course, to us uh, as well. So John 14, beginning at verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the same works I have done. In fact, They will do even greater works than these, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Hmm? There's there's three claims that Jesus makes in these three verses. Uh, Three claims, as I said, that are on one hand plain as day, um, 
And on the other hand, maybe as, as, as crazy as if Jesus had told his disciples they could fly. Um, what in the world does Jesus mean? I, I think these three claims uh, should thrill us, and they should probably terrify us at the same time. Um, and in case those three claims aren't crystal clear to you as you're, as you're looking at these verses... Uh, Let me just point them out, and then we'll try to make some sense of them. Claim one. Jesus says that everyone who believes or trusts in him will do the same works he has done. Okay? Claim number two. Jesus says that those who believe or trust in him will do even greater works than he has done. And claim number three. Jesus says that he will give us anything we ask when we ask in his name. There you have it. That's the message. Um, Y'all good? I mean, we need some help, don't we? Uh, Jesus' words are are really clear. Uh, And there's no debate... um, among Bible scholars about whether or not they belong here in in John's Gospel. All of the ancient manuscripts have these verses here in John's Gospel. Um, And maybe for some of you who are either brand new to the faith or just exploring uh, faith in Jesus, uh, you might be saying, wow, this is awesome! I mean, like, sign me up, because I can do anything that Jesus did, and I can ask him for anything, and he'll do it? Really? And others of you are like, I've been a Christian a long time, and that's not my experience. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm, I'm guessing some of you are thinking that. So while Jesus' words are are really clear, maybe his meaning is not. And if it's not, it's it's not because he wasn't clear, it's because of our own misunderstanding of of Jesus and his ministry. So let's tackle these claims one at a time and see if we can better understand Jesus' meaning here. Uh, So looking at at the text again, uh, Jesus' first claim is that whoever believes in him will do the works that he does. So the first question we should ask is, who is this promise for? Uh, there's, there's an old gospel song that says, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. Any of you know that? Yeah? I grew up hearing that song. Unfortunately, it's not true. I don't want to rock your world too bad, but there are promises in the Bible that were intended for very specific people in a very specific time, very specific circumstances. And we need to be careful about meme theology that is so prevalent today that just throws up those promises and says, I'm going to claim this as my own. Okay, well... It may not be for you. But in this case, it's pretty clear who this is for. It's pretty easy to answer that question. 
This promise is for whoever trusts in Jesus. Uh, Some translations say anyone who trusts in Jesus. Some of them say everyone who trusts in Jesus. Some of them say the one who trusts in Jesus. All of them are saying the same thing. This promise that we read here in these three verses is for every believer, every Christian. In other words, it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for pastors or missionaries, not for some uh, very special class of super-Christian. This promise is for everyone who trusts in Jesus. Let me say it this way. Normal Christians do the works that Jesus did. That's what he says. So the second question we should be asking about this time is, okay, so what are the works that Jesus did? And I don't know what first pops into your mind when you think of the works that Jesus did, but I think most people probably go directly to his miracles, right? So far in John's gospel, Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed the son of a government official. Uh, He healed a paralyzed man by the pool of Bethsaida. Uh, He fed somewhere between five and 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walked on water. He healed a blind man. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Pretty incredible. How many of you have done any of those things? I saw one hand. We'll talk afterwards because I'm really anxious to meet you. Now, I I have witnessed some healings before. I've heard stories of other miracles, especially uh, overseas where God uh, sometimes seems to use the supernatural to show himself more powerful than pagan gods that that people worship. Uh, But verse 12 says, whoever trusts in Jesus or believes in Jesus does the works that he did. So what are we supposed to do with this? Uh, We create a big problem for ourselves when we define these works uh, as miracles. Uh, In fact, the the passage that Ben read for us just a few minutes ago in 1 Corinthians said clearly that not everyone does miraculous gifts. Not all of us will do miracles. So he couldn't have meant that we will do all those seven signs, miraculous signs that he did in John's gospel. So what did he mean? First clue, I think, is in verse 11, the verse right before uh, where we started. Uh, Jesus said in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus does something interesting here. He ties belief to the works that he does. In other words, the works that he does are intended to cause belief in him. And then we come to verse 12. He says that those who believe will do the same works he does. You put those two together and you get something like this. If you don't believe in me, Jesus says, let my works lead you to belief. 
And if you do believe in me, you'll do the works that lead others to faith, to belief. Two other places in John's gospel that this phrase, the works that I do, show up. Um, and, and it's Jesus speaking in, in both of them, so it, it sheds some light here, maybe on what he means in verse 12. Uh, in John 5, Jesus was speaking with the Jewish religious leaders about whether he was the Messiah or not. And in verse 36, Jesus said, The works that the Father has assigned me to complete, the works I am now doing, do what? They testify about me that the Father has sent me. And then in John 10, Jewish leaders are at it again and said to him in verse 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I already told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Jesus is is saying the same thing here in these two passages as he does in verse 11 and 12. His works testify about him. His works are meant to lead people to belief in Jesus. The other thing that that the works of Jesus do, I think we can see in in Scripture here, is that they bring glory to the Father. In John 17, Jesus will say, Father, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, Uh, which is consistent with what he said in Matthew 5 when he said, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good works Same word that's been all through our conversation so far this morning. They can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it seems clear, to me anyway, that the works Jesus did were designed to bring people to faith in Jesus and glorify the Father. Okay? Hopefully I've made a compelling case for that, that that's what Jesus' works were to do. It stands to reason then that when we come to verse 12 and Jesus says everyone who trusts in him will do the same works that he does, he means that all true Christians will do works that will lead others to Jesus, which in turn brings glory to the Father. You see? Dragging with me? I hope so, because this is where things get weird. Get a little crazy now. Because the second claim that Jesus makes is that those same people, everyone who trusts in him, will do even greater works than Jesus did. I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the same works I have done. In fact, they will do even greater works than these because I am going to be with the Father. Anyone maybe just a little uncomfortable with this? I mean, does it feel a little bit like we're, you know, stepping out into the realm of blasphemy, doing greater works than Jesus? Well, again, the language is, is really clear. It's uncontested. This is what Jesus said. And Jesus isn't talking just about apostles or, or some class of super Christian. He's talking about all of us who 
have placed faith in Jesus, all Christians. So what in the world is going on? What is he saying? Keep in mind what I've, what I've tried to already establish for you that, uh, about the works of Jesus that we will do. These are things we do that point people to Jesus, that, that help to lead people to belief in Him and bring glory to God. Okay? That's what we're talking about. That's the context here. But how is it that we are able to do that in a greater way than even Jesus himself? That's what's hard to figure out, right? There are several theories about what Jesus means here, but I'm drawn to one of them uh, that is shared by a number of Bible scholars, and, and a bunch of them are ones that I read pretty regularly. Um, and, and have been speaking to us as we've gone through John. I think there are two ways, at least, but, but at least two, uh, that we do greater works than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And the first of those has to do with uh, depth or um, the, the spiritual scope, and the second has to do with reach. Uh, so let's look at those one at a time. When I say uh, that our works are greater in depth or scope, I mean that there's something available to us now that was not yet true during Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus says that we will do even greater things than he did, and then he tells us why. Because he is going to the Father. And that's a really important clue for us. There there is something of infinite importance that will happen between when Jesus says these words in John 14, 12, and when he ascends to the Father in Acts chapter 1. You know what it is? On the way to the Father, Jesus will go to the cross to die for our sins. He will be buried for three days. Then he will be resurrected and ascend to the Father from where he sends his Holy Spirit to his disciples and to us so that we can do the work he calls us to. Think about this. When Jesus spoke these words, never before in history, never had someone been forgiven because of the already crucified, already buried, already risen, already reigning, and already indwelling work of Jesus. That had never happened when Jesus said these words. Even when Jesus forgave sins, it was in anticipation of his sacrifice. And after he ascended and was seated at the right hand of his Father, from that time forward, faith in Jesus would be based on the finished work of Jesus. The finished work of Jesus. That had never happened before this statement. 
Up to this point, when, when Jesus said these words, belief in Jesus was because he had healed someone or told them everything about themselves or uh, maybe because he taught as one with authority, authority that they hadn't ever heard someone teach with before. But today, we, you, you and I, can point people to Jesus as the one who died in our place already, the one who died in our place to forgive our sins. Can you see how that's greater? Some of you are still not sure. Okay. That's the first way I believe we can do greater works than Jesus because we have the message of the cross. Okay. The second way I think the works we do can be greater than the work Jesus did during his earthly ministry uh, has to do with uh, the reach uh, of those works. Think about this. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, there's really a relatively small group of people who were truly devoted followers. After Jesus' ascension, And before the Holy Spirit came, Acts 1 tells us that there were about 120 disciples. They gathered together, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. 120. Jesus spoke to thousands of people. He did miracles in front of thousands of people. 120 hung in there till the end. That's fewer than we have in the room this morning. Can you imagine? All the Christians in the world in this little room. But then in Acts 1.8, Jesus will say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then as we turn the pages through the book of Acts, we see thousands upon thousands of people placing their faith in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was only able to preach to a relatively small region around Galilee and and Jerusalem. But after he went to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit, we see that message about Jesus spreading throughout the Middle East, uh, into Asia, up into Europe. It's going everywhere. And we come to, to Revelation chapter 5, we read that there's a, there's a throng of, of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation gathered around the throne, worshiping him. Meaning, the whole world will have had an opportunity to be pointed to faith in Jesus. This is why we're so committed at Grace to partnering with people who are going to those places around the world where where they haven't yet heard about Jesus. We want to actively participate in that greater work that Jesus promised we would do. So again... Let's see, I've got one here. If you haven't, you were waiting for it. I know you were. 
you haven't filled out a faith promise commitment card yet, please do that. So these two ways are how I see our work being greater than the works Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Greater in, in depth, spiritual depth, um, based on his sacrifice for us, and greater in reach because now we each, each one of us, have the Holy Spirit uh, and, and can take that good news about Jesus to the whole world. So, Jesus has said that all believers will do the work that he has done. He has said that all believers will do even greater work than he did. There's one last claim here uh, that really is critical to those first two. Jesus says in verses 13 and 14 that we can ask for anything in his name and he'll do it. In fact, he says it twice. Is he serious? Really? Is this true? Again, some of you who are maybe new to the faith or just checking Jesus out are like, awesome, I got my list already, right? Jesus, here's what I need you to do. This is another of those verses that has been taken out of context uh, and, and sometimes twisted into something that Jesus didn't actually mean. Uh, so let's see if we can sort this out and, and get to his meaning. Context, again, is, is critical in understanding this claim that Jesus makes. If we pull verses 13 and 14 out of their immediate context, we're going to lose the meaning. We're not going to know what he's talking about. So what's the immediate context? The immediate context is Jesus talking about the works of Jesus that we will do in an even greater way. That's the context. That's what he's talking about. Okay? He's talking about works that we do that will point people to belief in Jesus and glorify the Father. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Uh, the, the second important piece here is a qualifier that Jesus uses. He says that we have to ask in his name. What does that mean? Well, if you grew up in another faith tradition, uh, you may not be used to ending prayers the way that we often do here at Grace. Uh, we generally end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? Is that what Jesus is talking about here? Does he mean that all we have to do, whatever we ask, we just slap a, in Jesus' name, we got it, right? No, that's not what he means. Um, in Bible times, and, and we can see it in, in our contemporary world as well, but messengers were sent in the name uh, of their masters. Uh, ambassadors uh, came in the name and really with the authority of their kings. They acted on behalf of the one who had sent them. Uh, next week we'll be in John 15, and Jesus will say, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Uh, in 1 John 5, John says, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Both of these things 
abiding and, and asking in his will, according to his will, both of those are included, I think, in this meaning of praying in Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name means to abide in him, to be so close to him that his words become your words. His will becomes your will, your, your deepest desire. His vocation, his work becomes your vocation. Jesus is saying here that as we move through life in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to point people toward belief in Jesus to the glory of God the Father, God himself will give us what we need to do that work. Whatever you need to do that, I will give you. So what might those things be? Well, for some of you, it might be opportunity. Maybe, maybe you're just not seeing opportunity and you're hearing these words this morning and, and being somewhat convicted maybe. I, you know, I'm not doing the works that Jesus says I should be doing, but I don't know where to start. God, would you give me opportunity? Show me someone that needs pointing in your direction. Okay? one of those prayers that is in that scope of in Jesus' name that I believe he would be happy to answer. Or maybe, for some of you, it's courage. The opportunity's there, but I'm terrified. I don't think I can do that. So that prayer that Jesus loves to answer might be for courage. Help me to step into that, Lord. Or maybe it's resources for that work. Maybe it's praying for a response to that work. Lord, I've been I've been trying to I've been trying to point this person to you, but their heart just seems hard. Lord, would you would you soften their heart, please? They need to know you. You pray for soft hearts for a, for a response. There's other prayers that would, would all fall in this category. This is, this is why prayer is such an important part of our faith promise effort. I mean, we really believe, I really believe this, that, that when God lays a number on your heart and you trust Him to provide for that, which which is intended to point people to belief in Jesus to the glory of the Father, I believe He will do it. He loves to do that. Do you see how that's within His will? Do you see how that's in His name? Some of you are already seeing God provide in that way. Why is is that true? This passage tells us why. You're participating in that greater work that Jesus promised we would do. And if you ask anything toward that, he'll do it. That's what I see. So let me try and land this this plane this morning. Uh, What do we do with this? What do we do with these three verses? 
For those of you who are Christians here this morning, this passage tells us that the normative behavior for all Christians is supposed to be that we are doing the works that Jesus did. And that work, as we saw, is to point people to belief in Jesus. And that work becomes greater than what Jesus could do in his earthly ministry because of two big reasons. First, it's greater because we can offer people the full forgiveness of sins based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross in his resurrection and because he reigns at the right hand of the Father. And it's also greater because it's spreading around the the world. It's spreading through your neighborhood. It's spreading through your workplace, wherever you might go. Think about this. You are taking the good news of Jesus to places Jesus couldn't take it. This this might be offensive to some, the way I'm going to say this. So you can go ahead and brace yourself, okay? You are doing what Jesus couldn't do, but what he is now doing through you. Because he lives in you. Is that crazy? That's wild, isn't it? Here's the hard part, though. If you're not doing this, if you're not letting your light shine before people, then you're not doing what normal Christians are supposed to do. And this is where that idea of being a Christian means going to heaven when you die is a horrible distortion of what Jesus intended. And if you hold to that idea, and I see it all the time, You can say, I'm a Christian, and you can go merrily along your way, relatively unimpacted by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and and not doing what Jesus says a normal Christian is supposed to do. You can do that, but it begs the question, are you really a Christian? Because this is what normal Christians are supposed to do. And that leads me to a second question. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, letting Him give you this new abundant life that He promises in the here and now, if you don't have that deep peace that He talks about down in verse 27, we haven't looked at it, but my peace I give to you not as the world gives, It's different. It's deeper. It'll carry you through everything. If you don't know that peace, if you aren't experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises in Acts 1.8, wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like to know this person that loved you so much that he died for your sins? Have you, have you ever known a love that deep? I can tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you have not. You have not known a love that deep because he's the only one. He's the only one who has done that for you. 
This passage this morning is, has been talking about the need uh, for all of us to point people to Jesus in a way that, that leads them to belief in him. And, and along the way, my hope, my prayer is that somehow as I've been talking about this, I've also been pointing some of you to him. Pointing some of you to belief in Jesus, to, to trust in him as your Savior, your Lord. I'm going to lead us in, in prayer. Um, and I just want to say, if, if trusting in Jesus is something you'd like to do today, just, just pray along silently from your heart with me. And others of you, if, if you are a Christian, but you've, you've struggled to do the works that Jesus says we are all supposed to do, uh, you pray along with me too. Uh, really, every one of us in this room should be praying this prayer, me included. So let me lead us. Jesus, thank you for loving me like no one has ever loved me. Thank you for coming to die in my place so I could be forgiven of my sin and experience abundant life in you. Thank you for the power of your spirit to empower me to follow you and live the life that you invite me into. Jesus, I want all of those things to be true in my life. Your words in these verses this morning make it clear that there are certain things that are expected of those who trust in you. And I pray that you would give me and my friends here whatever we need to do those works that you have planned for us. And with all the rich meaning that you intended, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.